Welcome to Real World Talk, a podcast that brings together healthcare leaders to discuss the importance of real world data in accelerating drug development and improving cancer care. Real World Talk is brought to you by CODA, a company that combines oncology expertise with advanced technology and analytics to create clarity from fragmented and often inaccessible real-world data. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Real World Talk with CODA. This is Emily, your host. Today, we're honored to have a very special guest with us, Bruno Villatele. Bruno joins us from Switzerland, where he's served as the head of data and digital for Novartis Drug Development since April 2019. Prior to joining Novartis, Bruno was the chief digital officer at Takeda Pharmaceuticals, where in 2017, he was named one of the top 40 healthcare transformers, due in part to his leadership of and success with Takeda's digital accelerator. Fun fact, Bruno in a previous Real World Talk with Coda guest, Jess Federer, shared the distinction of being the first two chief digital officers within the top 10 global pharmaceutical companies. Bruno has also served as the chief information officer of Nestle and as the managing director of a venture capital fund. Bruno is a startup founder who is now a sought after board member and advisor to multiple digital health companies. A serial intra and entrepreneur, Bruno Villatela has spent a lifetime developing innovative businesses and driving digital disruption. Bruno, I am thrilled to spend some time together today. It is truly my pleasure to be here today, Emily, with you and the Kota team. So thanks so much for the invite. Wonderful. So let's kick it off with real world data and evidence. There is a movement across the life sciences industry supported by both the FDA and the EMA to expand the use of real world evidence and data, especially in research and development. One promising use case for this type of data in R&D is reducing trial failure rates by conducting early feasibility studies. I'm wondering how are you seeing this use case play out today and what will its impact be on in the future? Yeah, real world data is indeed in terms of focus shifting more upstream into research and development. I, I can't agree more. And while efficacy and safety data collected through randomized clinical trials remain the gold standard, real world data can complement typical development programs by informing uh, the selection of endpoints, the design and recruitment of studies, which can potentially accelerate timelines, reduce clinical trial costs, and to your point, increase the probability of success. Very practical example, since 2016, Novartis has partnered with Trinetics to gain access to their platform that provides access to clinical data in real time from its proprietary network of healthcare institutions to improve protocol design and reduce the number of amendments by testing, for instance, the inclusion and exclusion criteria. We're also working with you all at the COTA team to evaluate the feasibility of your real-world data to optimize our development programs, accelerate access, but also potentially optimize medical practice. So I would say it's no longer science fiction. It is science in action. I like that. It's no longer science fiction. It's science in action. That is wonderful. So you mentioned upstream versus downstream use of real world data. Can you talk a little bit about additional upstream uses? It's really interesting to think of 
real world data filtering all the way up to the very beginning, the very ideation when it comes to drug development. So what are some other upstream uses you're seeing of real world evidence? Yes, a couple of them that I believe are truly exciting, in addition to increasing the probability of success that we just talked about. One is what I would call real-world database control arms, and the second one is new indications. For the real-world database control arms, a sizable number of drug development programs are now targeted toward small or even very small populations. And in turn, the focus on small population diminishes the number of patients that can be enrolled within reasonable development timeframe, making adequately powered randomized controlled trials almost impractical at times. For example, in one study for patients with cancers due to a very rare mutation, we developed an external control from real-world data to compare with data from an ongoing single arm phase two trial with the investigational agent. And so this data can provide a benchmark comparison to support regulatory decision-making and reimbursement. So that's one of them for control arms. The other interesting use case is new indication. The use of reward data and non-traditional study designs to inform regulatory approval of new drugs or expanded indications of marketed drugs is an exciting and an active area of research. Specifically, and just one example for a very rare disease with no or limited options for treatment. We will use reward data as the basis for filing in the US, which we expect and hope will enable accelerated access to treatment for patients with this very rare disease. Absolutely. It's interesting that you mentioned rare diseases and then you subsequently mentioned cancer. We increasingly at CODA, as cancer is increasingly a rare disease, given the specificity we can get in terms of diagnostics. So I think that, yes, as populations grow smaller and smaller, the use of real world evidence will as you say, hopefully increase for control arms. So talking about how the specifics of how real world data is used, let's move to thinking about how companies wider, companies apply the use wider internally. So I'm sure you saw it, but according to Deloitte's 2020 third annual pharmaceutical industry benchmarking study, Real-world data can fundamentally change how drugs are discovered, developed, commercialized, and even reimbursed. And pharmaceutical companies reported that while they are increasing real-world data investment, they face some challenges. So organizational silos, multiple fragmented technology solutions, and a lack of coordination in terms of data sources and partnerships still pose significant challenges for life sciences companies. And some companies surveyed reported that having a strong enterprise-wide strategy is essential, if not required, in order to overcome these and make the best use of real-world data. I wanted to know if you agreed with that assessment of an enterprise-wide strategy. And if so, what should leaders keep in mind when designing those types of strategies for real-world evidence use? Absolutely agree. We are accelerating our real-world data strategy at Novartis and seizing the potential of real-world data to create value across the life cycle we were referring to requires indeed a unified strategy and a systematic integration of real-world data in what we refer to as the integrated evidence 
framework. So to your question, our ambition is basically to enable Novartis to make strategic use of this integrated evidence for target and medical need identification, development, approval, access, and optimizing medical practice. To be more specific, our ambition and our approach is rooted in three strategic pillars. This holistic evidence that I was referring to, holistic evidence at launch. Second is systematic prioritization and acquisition of the data sources that we need through partners and other ways. And third, deployment of common technology and analytical platforms. All of this required indeed a unified strategy, but the potential is huge. Whether we talk about uh, higher priority of success, as we just mentioned, potentially exertion of approval, but also most importantly, development cost reduction. Absolutely. We'll dive into, in our next section, we'll dive into the third pillar you mentioned, the deployment of technologies, which I think is a really interesting space for pharmaceutical companies to think about as they deploy real-world data. So we'll carry on with Novartis as we dive into this next section. So in 2018, just before you joined Novartis, the company made a significant investment in and commitment to the development of sightless or decentralized trials. Could you share with our listeners how these trials differ from traditional clinical trials and what potential benefits decentralized trials have for patients, clinicians, and pharmaceutical companies? Yeah, that's truly a topic that's very close to my heart, Emily. We are working with a whole ecosystem of partners on accelerating the move toward decentralized clinical trials or DCT. Our focus is to enhance the patient's experience using solutions such as telemedicine, mobile nursing, direct-to-patient investigation or medication delivery, for instance. We have already by now, you mentioned we started a couple of years ago, we have by now completed the implementation of these clinical trials in, in a growing number of non-interventional and interventional pilot studies. We plan to use it and implement uh, selected digital technologies and services also in post-marketing study and long-term follow-up study as well. This means at the end of the day that a clinical trial will span the entire life cycle of drug development. In parallel, we have been engaging with regulators to assess the level of receptiveness to these options which is actually fundamental for the success of these efforts. One very timely implication of this acceleration within Novartis toward decentralized clinical trials is basically COVID-19. To mitigate the impact of the COVID-19, our teams are leveraging our experience in decentralized clinical trials to enable engagement with patients remotely and delivering investigational medication directly as needed. I would share with you that you know, these difficult times just reaffirm the role of these technologies and services. So we aim to continue our conversations with regulators to further explore opportunities to implement a decentralized clinical trial model. We are now truly scaling a new data and digital enabled model of drug development. I think we can say that we have moved from myth to value. So we've talked about COVID. Let's go into, I'll ask another question about DCT. So trial decentralization really goes hand in hand with technology advancement, as you mentioned. And in particular, I'm thinking of advances in sensor and communication technologies, among others. 
are life sciences companies taking an active role in the development of those technologies through partnerships, co-development, or strategic investment? Or are we seeing more off-the-shelf acquisition and use? Yeah, so absolutely. We are increasingly investing in in what I refer to as connected health. This modular approach we discussed around decentralized clinical trial applies perfectly well to this space of sensor and communication technologies. And to answer your question, we are using both internal capabilities as well as partners that we work with both to jointly develop solutions as well as to use their solutions off the shelf. We, we want to make sure that we use these solutions to, to reimagine the way we're developing medicines, to bring them faster to patients. And so if off the shelf solutions are available, absolutely. I would tell you that I truly believe that what many call the new normal is being shaped as we speak. And it is time for us to further focus on the experience we offer to patients taking our medicine. I will not surprise you in saying that the pandemic has accelerated the perception and at times the penetration of some of these technologies. We did witness a change of behavior due to COVID that kept many patients away from the hospitals or the doctor office. And so all those technologies that can one way or another decentralize, bring the site to the patient of the way around are truly essential. And so our ambition is to incrementally integrate solutions like digital endpoints for an almost near real-time continuous frictionless capture of safety and efficacy data and connected health technologies across our portfolio. Partnership, you asked me the question, partnership is absolutely key. At Novartis, we set ourselves a number of goals for data science and digital technology transformation. And one of them is to become the number one partner in the ecosystem. We are deploying many efforts to identify the companies with whom we develop commercial or research partnerships through a variety of avenues. We are working very hard to make it easier, simpler to do business with us to basically accelerate the innovation cycles around this idea. We are very keen to learn and collaborate. Very clear. From nimble startups, innovative academic institutions, industry leaders, You know, our recent AI partnership with Microsoft is, in my mind, a great example. We decided to collaborate with Microsoft to transform how medicines are discovered, developed, and commercialized. We have established an AI innovation lab that will create new AI models and applications to further enhance our capabilities to tackle new challenges in medicine. So it really sounds like advanced therapy platforms, data science, and AI is all coming together at Novartis. Novartis evolved into a a really focused life sciences company that is powered by, in part, technology. Yeah, I was referring to some of the objectives that we have when it comes to evolving into this vision we have for Novartis. We could look at our data and digital ambition with three what-if questions. First one is, what if we could transform R&D to bring medicines to patients two years faster? That's a big what if, right? Two years faster. The second is, what if we could reach twice as many patients in half the amount of time? And the third is, what if we could do all of that and at the same time save the ways of developing new medicine by reinventing the way we work? So these are the what if that describe our ambition, Emily. And we are tackling that from, I would say, two sides. One is to keep on working on how our development, drug development process works and how those technologies can help us reinvent the ways of developing drugs. But also looking into the specific medicine we're working in, how those specific medicine could benefit from technologies beyond the development process. 
So maybe uh, an example could be useful here, Emily. At Novartis, an immunosuppressant therapy is being investigated to block specific immune reactions that cause the body to reject transplanted organs, such as a kidney transplant. So we looked into how, from a drug development process, we can bring this medicine faster to patients. We looked into what this specific medicine, how data science and digital technology could benefit this specific medicine. So practically, we are using a machine learning-enabled surrogate endpoint to predict long-term graft survival. And this will play a role in helping us shorten the clinical development, we hope, by up to two years. Second, we are um, outfitting patients with sensors. We discussed about sensors just before to identify the presence and severity of cognitive impairment, tremor, sleep disturbance in transplant patients treated with the current standard of care. And third, we are using smart drug delivery devices. We talked about connected health, smart drug delivery devices to improve the experience of the many thousands of patients and healthcare professionals that support the space and the bundle of patients. So you see through this example, how we are basically bringing the best of data science and digital technology to power our commitment to imaging medicine for each of the medicines we investigate. Could talk about this forever. I'm getting so excited and taking so many notes, even though I can hopefully listen to this podcast whenever I want to, so I don't even have to take notes. But this is really thrilling to hear. And you mentioned earlier, you're working with early stage startups, research and development at top tier academic centers. And so I think I'm hearing a lot of coming together of different types of entities that bring different perspectives, but all in kind of search of the same goals. So this is super exciting. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I do have a couple, a question or two about your wider experience. So our listeners heard in my introduction that you have worked for Takeda Pharmaceuticals and now you're at Novartis. So you've worked now for two real giants in the pharmaceutical company world, Takeda and Novartis. Takeda is over 200 years old, and Novartis is relatively newer. I wanted to know from your perspective, how does a company, an entity like Takeda, with hundreds of years of experience, innovate and readjust to remain relevant for so long? And what can a newer global company learn from their example? Yeah, this is a fascinating space. This month, Emily, is the Curiosity Month at Novartis. So we have assembled a program for all the associates at Novartis to basically have a chance to get and discover new capabilities and new skills. This is what you call the Curiosity Month. And I had a chance to present a few topics. And I referred to a book, maybe you had a chance to read it, Emily, called The Medici Effect. And bear with me a second, you will see why I'm referring to this book. So the Medici effect argued that innovation comes from diverse industries, cultures, and disciplines when they all intersect, bringing ideas from one field into another. The name of the book, if you know a bit the history of Italy, is derived from the Medici dynasty, an Italian banking family that came to power, I think it was in the back end of the 14th century, and, and was able to support artists 
And this kind of melting pot of artists from different origin, discipline, cultures led to the Renaissance, right? So I am an adept of the Medici effect. And to your question, at Novartis, our data science and digital technology transformation is powered by diverse industries, cultures, and disciplines. Maybe just two or three examples to illustrate that, how it's coming together. Our funding model for data science and digital technology borrows from the venture capital world. I had a chance to work in at some point in my career. And with this, we have moved from long and costly projects into a more kind of a seed funding and toll gate based model that releasing funds, depending upon how the minimum viable product is performing against predetermined value obsessed criteria. That's inspired from another industry, another space, right? Another example is at times many people question me about for data and digital technology to be effective, you need to move from pilots and experiments to embed those capabilities into the real ways of working so that it becomes the new normal if you want. How are you doing that? I would tell you that our data and digital capability development is inspired by the build, operate, transfer. Maybe you know this model, the build, operate, transfer model that is used in public-private partnership, where our data science and digital teams incubate a new capability that they build and they run for some time, they build and operate it for some time, till the point it reaches the criteria we have defined to say it's ready for prime time, it's mature, and then we transfer it to a business to become a new normal. So in short, it's powered by diversity, aka the Medici effect, right? On this note, I think it is really critical in need to recognize that, yes, we have been learning and at Novartis, we are learning from our partnership and being curious. It's part of our culture, being curious by other industries. But we are not only learning from others and outside. We're also leveraging on the diverse and rich talents we have in the company. I am a firm believer that diversity is essential to innovation. And in this vein, I would tell you that I decided to be one of the proud executive sponsor of the diversity and inclusion movement in Novartis. And I'm probably even more proud to be working for a company like Novartis, who is the first global pharmaceutical company to uphold the United Nations standards of conduct for business. A company that appreciates the diversity not only to meet what I consider is human rights responsibilities, but yet as an active agent of change. And I think it is my belief that when we allow for the pooling of unique uh, cultural and experiential backgrounds, people find themselves in the best environment to thrive in and unique and winning strategies are sure to follow. As one of the founding members of CODA's own diversity and inclusion initiative, it's wonderful to hear your commitment to that. And then to respond to your comments earlier regarding the Medici effect, I find myself thinking immediately back to politics. We don't have to talk about politics on this call, but this idea that nations are turning inwards and there's discussion. I was on a podcast yesterday where they were talking about, is this the end of globalization? And your comments regarding bringing different people together and how invaluable that is, different people, different countries, different cultures. You're giving me a little bit of hope after what I was listening to yesterday in terms of everything being siloed and separated. So there really is, I agree with you, there is such value in bringing different elements together. And I certainly hope it is not the end of a globalized world. 
As we close out today, I'm going to ask you one more quick question. You've been lucky enough, Bruno, to have a career that really spans different industries. And I'm wondering, I know that data science and artificial intelligence, as we know it, is still quite in its infancy, even though they're being used pretty universally across all industries. And I'm just wondering, are there some lessons learned in these areas from other sectors that you've watched or worked in that apply to the life sciences field? Yeah, it's true that I've learned so much from my past experiences. And I have to tell you that I'm, I, I keep on learning every day. I try and remain curious and open and every day I learn. It reminds me uh, the brief exchange we had earlier today, mainly around COVID and how some of the investments we as a company at Novartis, we made into data science and digital technology allowed us to respond to the pandemic. One of the platforms that we invested in over the past one to two years is what we call the Sense platform. And it is basically a platform that is monitoring globally the 500 plus clinical trials that we run at Novartis in 70 plus countries advanced analytics and ways to try and anticipate where we might face an issue and try to design alternative strategies so that we can keep on supporting patients. Sense was basically designed and inspired by aviation and control towers. You know, it's by looking into how people in the aviation industry are working that we realize that they are dealing with a huge degree of complexity. And you would probably appreciate that 500 clinical trials in 70 plus countries is a lot of complexity, tens and tens of thousands of patients that we want to keep taking care of. So it was inspired by another space. It is using AI. To your question about some of my learnings, I think one of the big, most important things is basically to understand what is at the core of AI so that you can basically articulate how best you can make value of it. It is my belief to try and simplify it at its core. I think AI has three key abilities. The ability to learn from data, the ability to predict outcomes and so generate insights to support better decisions, right? Learn, predict outcome, generate insights to support better decisions. And so once you look into it this way, then the question is, how can you apply that to a specific area of interest? For instance, if you think about the drug development, right, we are investigating very actively three key scenarios that are going to use these abilities. One is to use AI to turbocharge the development efficiency and with an objective of reducing time to launch. So the sense control tower I mentioned that is proactive monitoring in real time, the 500 plus clinical trials, 70 plus countries, is turbocharging our efficiency and giving us advanced ways to predict and make better decisions on how we are running those clinical trials. First example. The second is to use AI to, I like to call it, power up the wealth of knowledge we have in our company. So we talked a lot about real-world data here, but you might know that Novartis, after years and years of running clinical trial, we have accumulated a rich set of data. And we have an initiative called Data42, which is basically all about putting together all this data. We're talking about 2 million patient years of data. It's huge. Putting together all this data and to use AI to basically power up the knowledge we have in the company. 2 million patient years of data. Who can 
pretend they can just with an, even with a team um, be able to tap on this wealth of knowledge. AI is there to power up the wealth of knowledge. And it applies to structured data, like clinical data, for instance, but also to unstructured data. What I said about patient years, two million patient years of data applies to the thousand and thousand of protocols. And we know that today AI can sparse and read unstructured data and text and derive a lot of information and power up um, the wealth of our knowledge. The third, the third area is, is we're using AI to cut the time from data to evidence. All the work we're doing, I refer to the work we're doing in the immunosuppressant space, all the work we're doing around developing new validated surrogate endpoints or prognostic biomarkers for in this category. So it's super exciting. I believe that at the end, it's all about focusing on being obsessed by the value. Yes, AI is a super exciting space. You can experiment for a long time, the potential of AI. What we want is to basically move from experiments to ways of bringing the power of AI to support our emission. The idea of bringing together two million patients' lives, data from two million patients' lives is incredible. And I think assuming this was all collected in disparate ways, that is certainly a feat of a lifetime to organize that into something that can be then powered to help other developments. Incredible. I'm just so happy that we were able to welcome you today, Bruno. I'm looking over some of the things I jotted down and we've got data fortitude, powering up intellectual wealth, Curiosity Month at Novartis, lessons learned from the aviation industry to the Renaissance, integrated evidence platforms and connected health. This has certainly been a very rich 35 minutes with you. So I wanted to thank you so much on behalf of CODA, myself and our listeners. And we will be following you and following Novartis and wishing the best for your tenure there. And I hope to remain in touch, Bruno. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. Thanks to you and the entire Kota team for giving us a chance to, to exchange today. And definitely, I'm super excited by the prospect of continuing this journey together. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real World Talk. For more episodes and to understand how we can all bring clarity to cancer care using real-world data, please visit us at CodaHealthcare.com. We look forward to having you next time on Real World Talk.